Hi, and welcome to Rate That Album, a back-and-forth uh, album review uh, revisit of sort between myself, Joe Fremming, with me is Paul Muad'Dib. Uh, this is a new project we're doing. Uh, this is, uh, since we have come pretty much to the close on Twin Peaks, we decided, let's talk music. How are you doing, Paul? Um, well, the world's on fire, but as <laughs> the recording of this, of this... Of this podcast, I shouldn't laugh, but it's a defense mechanism. Uh, I'm, I'm all right. Um, yeah, yeah Billy I'm Joel said they didn't start it. Yeah, right? Billy Joel said they didn't start the fire. That that that's they're going to bring the court. Well, Billy Joel said <laughs> <laughs> it's always been turning, man. It's always it's always been turning <laughs> uh, since the rioters were shitting in the Capitol walls. Uh, <laughs> fuck. Um, no, I'm excited for this. Uh, you know, um, I, 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 you know, I've been preparing for this episode. You know, with Twin Peaks kind of rolling up, uh, ending up. I think we got one episode left of filming this or recording this, I should say, uh, to do. But other than that, yeah, I'm excited to f- get full into this. So, um, I believe the rules of this is we'll explain to our listeners. Uh, this is a new project that we've been spitballing, so this is the first iteration of it. Uh, much like Cast That Movie, um, we're going to go back and forth each week, picking an album for the uh, for both people to listen to. This week, starting, uh, was Joe's turn to pick the album. And with that, Joe is going to give us the history of the album, some interesting tidbits about the album, and then we're going to go back and forth kind of on highlights, lowlights, Thoughts on different tracks, the album as a whole, uh, just general takeaways of what we feel on the album. Does that sound about right, Joe? It does. Perfect. So, Joe, tell the audience the album that you picked. Okay. So, to start this off, I kind of wanted to go with something that is uh, easily accessible, uh, which turned out to be one of this group's most densely... (laughs) albums uh mm-hmm. i went with uh paul's boutique uh by beastie boys uh, <laughs> i felt i love beastie boys and i figured that what a better way to begin this podcast by you and i dorking out on these guys uh it's fun f- tidbit uh paul and i i used to hang out with paul every now and then in our 20s mm-hmm. uh, we'd go to a karaoke bar and the only song i would do <laughs> was fight for your right to party with paul because I can't sing, I can only scream. <laughs> I was so glad when you got up on stage with me. I was so happy. I was happy as pig and shit when you did that. Yes, that was so much fun. We did that a couple of times, too. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, and we rocked it, man. We totally rocked it. I mean, the audience was always into it because it's just it's one of those songs. Yeah, and uh, it's one of those songs that actually kind of uh, leads to what Paul's Boutique is. Because... Uh, well, let me get into this. Before we talk about the album, uh, let's rewind and lead up a little bit of the history leading up to this album. All right, and jump in whenever you feel like it, Paul. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so let's in the mid to late 70s, Beastie Boys begin as a hardcore punk band uh, with them uh, when they're heading into more becoming more popular. They add Kate Schellenbach, who would eventually move on to Luscious Jackson, is their drummer. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, they meet Rick Rubin in his dorm room 
because he has uh, <laughs> mixing equipment, recording equipment, and they meet Russell Simmons, uh, who's uh, has created a new uh, record label called Def Jam. All these things kind of coalesce into them becoming moving away from more of punk and more into hip hop. Uh, this move eventually causes them to fire Kate Schellenbach from their band in a pretty bad way that they apologized to her over the years. Uh, much of this was at the urging of Rick Rubin. A lot of this I've picked up from their book, Beastie Boys book, and she writes a chapter about oh, this. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So going in, they record, uh, we're not going to go over the whole history, but they record uh, License to Ill, which is no. uh, groundbreaking in a sense. It kind of opens the door to hip-hop on MTV. Uh, a lot of it probably has to do with the fact that it's more digestible for audience at that time because these guys are white guys. White Jewish guys from from New York. Um, yeah, and I, I want to say, first of all, um, I love that album. And I, 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 I gonna, I'm probably gonna jump into something you're gonna say here, but I know people say it's a very sophomoric, childish album, but I mean, there, it's done. The satire is there, so I don't know how people didn't catch it. Yeah, well, because the satire got lost on a lot of the fans, uh, and that kind of goes back to uh, why this album became became what it was because the big hit was the our karaoke song fight for your right to party uh, mm -hmm. this is a, a meathead song uh it's tongue-in-cheek but people took it pretty like these guys are party guys they thought they were like 80s rock star party dudes uh which they weren't i mean these are the guys <laughs> these, are, these guys were they they came of age like worshiping bad brains and Black Flag and Minor Threat and all these like, DC hardcore bands, right? Uh, but it, what happens is they record this and uh, record this album, and it blows up, and they're touring it with a giant inflatable penis. They eventually <laughs> see themselves becoming what they hate. Uh, yes, they're, they're playing. They're what went from playing a role became becoming the role. Yeah, I will say, um, you know, I, that was something that I think is well known, uh, even with people that maybe are outside the Beastie Boys. Um, just, I mean, there was a lot of uh, um, uh, interviews with other artists and things um, about the Beastie Boys, and yeah, they it, it, they they became the thing that they that they hated, and they. Um, that created some issues for them. Yeah. Eventually they've apologized uh, for a lot of the content on that album over the years, mm -hmm. especially the homophobia and straight up sexism. Oh yeah. It was just kind of, it's a part of the times and it's also, you know, some of it's tongue in cheek. Uh, so that happens. Then they end up uh, being financially screwed by their label Def Jam. What happens is Russell Simmons keeps putting them out on tour, and then him and Rick Rubin hold back album royalties from them because they're not putting out a new album. It was a catch-22 thing, which eventually led to a lot of acrimony in them eventually leaving Def Jam. Mm -hmm. And that's that. Would, no, correct me if I'm wrong. I know this is going a little bit sidetracked, but that was also very commonplace with Def Jam, if I'm not mistaken. From what I've heard, yeah, uh, Rick Rubin has a—he's done a lot of great albums, but he's a 
he's a pretty bad uh, runner of a label. Mm-hmm. Uh, is his label after Def Jam, which was Def American, which became American Records. Yeah. He had a similar uh, falling out with Black Crows and uh, Glenn Danzig. Yes. So. I mean, he's, but I, you know, I give him, you know, he is one of those legendary producers, though. Yeah, he's super talented. He's just, uh, he's just not, I don't think he's very good at dealing with people and dealing with finances and all that. Uh, sure. Absolutely. So this happens. They leave Def Jam. Uh, then they go on hiatus. Uh, during all this, Adam Yock, uh, MCA, who's basically seen as the architect of sort of this group. Uh, he's telling people he doesn't really want to do Beastie Boys anymore. In fact, he forms a, a kind of a super group called Brooklyn with members of Bad Brains around this time. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you can only find like some maybe some live stuff from them, but they never recorded anything. But the interesting thing is uh, Adam Horowitz, uh, Ad-Rock, moves to L.A. And here, he's, you know, he's kind of like, he needed to get out of New York. He needed to get away from the other guys, especially with, like, get away from Rick Rubin, Rick, uh, Russell Simmons, and Def Jam, just kind of just take a breather. And he he goes to a party, and he meets these uh, two kind of, like, music dorks, and they uh, play him some demos that they're working on. These two will end up being known as the Dust Brothers, who (laughs) (laughs) at this time are not that, but they end up as uh, one, probably like after their work with Beastie Boys, probably Bex Odelay is probably one of their best known groundbreaking productions. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm keeping my mouth shut on that because I I have something to say about that when we get into the album. Okay. Okay. So what happens is they play some demos. Horovitz uh, gets in contact with the other two. You guys have to hear this. Uh, They end up all kind of moving out to L.A. Uh, So they're kind of working on a follow-up, and they sign on with Capitol Records, which is – it starts off with big fanfare, but (laughs) Capitol – let's just get into it. I'll get into the Capitol thing right here. Yeah, yeah, please. And I'll kind of backtrack. So what happens is they go to Capitol – they record this album that most labels would probably be pretty pissed since <laughs> it's wildly different from the album that made these guys famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Capitol's excited. They uh, do a big uh, gala, big party announcing Beastie Boys are on their label, and the next this album, Paul's Boutique's coming out. And then they don't really promote it. <laughs> Uh, what happens is they decided to put their promotional efforts more into a new Donny Osmond album. What the fuck? Yep. And they told yeah, that's uh, gonna pay Be- off. Yeah. They told the Beastie Boys pretty much, uh, well, next time. Which is kind of like uh you can tell how much money record labels were making at this time, where they could just tell one of their artists, like, yeah, it doesn't need to sell. <laughs> But what this does is eventually this kind of attitude with the Beastie Boys gives them pretty much creative control <clears throat> throughout the rest of their career. Capital just never mucked with them that much after this. <laughs> They're just kind of, oh, they'll put out an album, all right. <laughs> that's so awesome. I, that, that's awesome back in the day, right, when, they were, when uh, record companies used to do that? Yeah, yeah, but, you know, they consistently sold. The Beastie Boys were never big sellers, 
at least not until probably toward the late 90s uh, after Sabotage blows up. Mm-hmm. But uh, now to backtrack, they record these demos for what would become Paul's Boutique with the Dust Brothers. They're fantastic, and then they have this idea, well, maybe we should re-record these in uh, nicer studios. So they're jumping from studio to studio. They go to like the, the classic one where like Fleetwood Mac recorded Rumors, uh, oh. you know, and they're just <laughs> failing to grasp catch the magic of what they got on the demos but at this point it it's too late <laughs> you know they're too they're hundreds of thousand dollars <laughs> in recording so they gotta go with what they go go with uh so they record the album puts it out like i said capital doesn't really promote it uh it falls like a kind of a lead balloon the, the fans of license to ill are not really keen on this uh and we'll get into it when we talk about the album because uh, mm-hmm. it's vastly different than what it's, they did before. It is vastly different. Yeah. So, uh, and it doesn't help that there was only like a couple songs that could be considered uh, singles. <laughs> the only one that really pops out is Hey Ladies, which mm-hmm. is a, a radio friendly or not friendly, but a radio-esque single. But that is... Uh, what happens? Uh, and again, and then from this point on, uh, they, have, they don't have interference. They're a consistent seller. Their follow-up, check your head, sells better. And then after that, ill communication sells. And then the rest is history. But that's kind of the lead-up. So, Paul, let's talk Paul's Boutique. Let's Okay, let's talk Paul's Boutique. It's been a long time since I've heard this album front to back. Um, you know, I have songs from it. on my playlists uh i have a i'm not good at sorting my playlists so i just hit you know add things to it so on my youtube music likes i have like 1500 songs (laughs) (laughs) just this one playlist so this point in my life i just run that thing on shuffle (laughs) so um and I, i i wanted to find the original version of it and what i mean by the original version of it is that there was a 25th anniversary uh, remaster um but i couldn't find anything other than that to listen to um but it is when you look at what they did from license to ill to going to paul's boutique it is a metamorphosis of completely vastly different things that are going on there um you know you you look at the uh, you brought up odalay and this is odalay 1.0 this really is like i was listening to this uh and i'm like man i didn't realize that beck took so much from this album but understanding that the dust brothers produced it and produced um uh Odile, it when as soon as you said that like it made sense to me in my head um these guys it this is this is intelligent rap i mean i know it's weird i know it's there's it's hilarious it's clever you know there's some jokes in there some dissing but this is like straight up when you look at what they did on license they don't look at what they did at here it's kind of like the martial mass uh martial uh Marshall to Eminem. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah, it's 
when you listen to License to Ill, and you know it's kind of hard since this is a sophomore, you kind of have to uh, compare it to what it came before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty bare bones when you listen to it. The beats and like the loops and the samples, and it's really, <clears throat> uh, you know, it it's good, but it doesn't like. Then you listen to this, and it's so heavily sampled, like. So much yes. sampling. So much sampling. We'll get to a point, but there was some significant odes to some rap greats in this album. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Beastie Boys, it feels like on every album they pay tribute to the guys that came before them, mm-hmm. their, their influences. and. But, yeah, this is like, this is such a... Again, it's heavily dense, and it comes in, and it's like it—you know—it starts off with like kind of like a slow lead-in that leads into, you know, you know, it's called to all the girls and to shake your rump, and it's just so—it's there's so much going on. It's a great headphones album. Yes. Yep. I was listening to it on headphones today. Yep. Yeah, and uh, going back to what you're saying, like can't find the listen to the CD, the original master of this before it was remastered. A lot of the problems with that is it's if it's a flat master, it's a flat mix. Oh, okay. It doesn't sound very good. It's one of the reasons I didn't listen to it as much when it first came. When I first started getting into the Beastie Boys, uh, I didn't get into them until like uh, late late nineties. Like I knew I knew who they were, but uh, it was such a flat mix. And then when they did the remasters, they did a remaster in twenty ten on on vinyl, and I bought or not twenty ten twenty eight two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. And it was like yes. night and day. I was going to say, this sounded way better than what I remembered. And that's <laughs> why I wanted to find the original one. Because um, a, a, a guy that we both know, a friend of mine, you know him. Um, we went to school with him. But uh, Mojo, um, my buddy Jeff, um, he was huge into, he was really ahead of his time when it came to some of the music he was listening to. And when Paul's Boutique came out, he was had that almost on a constant. Um, I was in. I remember doing uh, working for the newspaper in high school, which is oddly enough, given given what, where you went in your career and where I went in my career, <laughs> how the hell I ended up doing the newspaper. Um, but we would sit in that room and we'd listen to things like Paul's Boutique at the time and um, other um, uh, albums that were scoffed at the time and maybe not as well liked and became like really well loved this time went on it, it was crazy it was really crazy like he really knew what was going to be good yeah and, and you know again this fell like a lead balloon again people were expecting fight for your right part two and they were given you know uh the sounds of science <laughs> right chicken dinner <laughs> i love that <laughs> yes so, you know, it's uh, so that was another thing going against it. But it was, what I appreciate about an album like this is like just how ambitious it was. And like given like I don't think a lot of people realize how hard sampling was <laughs> at this point in history. Uh, They're using tape. Yes. And, uh, loops, and the machines they had could only sample maybe up to three or four seconds of a song at a time. You couldn't sample large 40 seconds uh, you only got a little bit of time to sample 
Yep, and uh, that's that's a wonderful point to bring up uh, because now you know I you can throw. I mean, I have a a, a, a sampler machine, and I can just plug in, you know, uh, and you know, do whatever I want with it, right? Um, I don't use it a whole lot because now there's things even like programs where I can just record what it is and do some maneuvering. I can remove audio. I can remove whatever and sample exactly what I want. It was not easy. I mean, it was it was truly an art back then. And I don't think people give enough credit to sampling back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it was it was a process. <laughs> it was not. Yeah, it was probably a bigger pain in the ass than most people would assume. <laughs> but I mean, uh, and back then it took uh, you actually had to listen to albums all the way through to find uh, certain beats that you'd like. Mm-hmm. You know, certain hooks. Uh, it's just you know, it's it, it's it's like a it's like it's a bygone era at this point. I mean, sampling's still there, but I think it's more streamlined to actually find what you're looking for instead of discovering what you're what oh yeah it's it's way easier now it it, i mean it really really is yeah all right so paul let's talk about some standout tracks so um the, the the standout ones to me uh on this on this album uh were um uh johnny ryle um Eggman, um Sound of Silence, um Three Minute Rule, <laughs> which, which I didn't expect to be based on that. Hey, I mean, hey ladies. Um you know, the, the Shake Your Rump, although be it was good, I I, I didn't think it was a, I think the ordering could have been a little bit better. Like I think they would have gone with Johnny Rael, then Shake Your Rump. I think it would have been maybe a little bit more flowing. Um those are some of the more standout ones. And then, of course, you got B-Boy, um, which I'll talk about. What about for you? What were some of the standouts for you? Well, <clears throat> my favorite Beastie Boys song of all time is Eggman. It's so good, right? It starts with the Superfly bass line. Mm-hmm. And it's just uh, just the references and the storytelling. And it even recycles one of their old punk songs, uh, Egg Raid on Mojo. <laughs> they actually... They rip themselves off. <laughs> That's awesome. Some of the lyrics on there. So I love that. Uh, you know, Shadrach, I love. Uh, yes. You know, hey, ladies. Sounds of Science, just like, holy shit, they sampled the Beatles. <laughs> right. Right. That, I was catching that, and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. You got some balls to sample the, sample the Beatles. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, that's some that's some high shoes to fill. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, uh, three minute rule, like you said. Uh, yeah, it's just those stand out, and it's uh, and it's weird because I'll, I can throw them on a mix, but it always feels like it feels better when I listen to the actual album. It's one of those few times when I listen to like these kind of tracks. Cause it's also weird because they kind of, for me, they kind of blend into each other. Yes, and I think. You know, that was the total vibe I was getting with this one, too. I was like, because, again, I have certain tracks, as I said, from there. Um, I haven't really listened to the full album front to back in quite a few number of years. And that's why I was getting also the Odelay vibes, because it's like the song, it's flowing. It has a rhythm to it. I mean, this is 
a real album, uh, you know, that really goes. I mean, you could sit there and say, yeah, there are some filler songs. Um, there is some things in there. Maybe we'll, we'll get to that. But I mean, there is, I mean, even to have it go from like to all the girls and have it end with AWOL, which brings it back around is a very like album thing. Yeah. Pink, Pink Floyd was notorious for doing that with several of their albums. Yeah. And Beatles to an extent too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yep. mean, it's, it, yeah, these guys, you can tell they're record nerds. Yes. These are not the cool guys in school. <laughs> they, these no. are us. This is us. <laughs> this is us. These are these are people that would sit down and listen to head music uh, and really absorb themselves into an album. And I think that's what kind of like is was the appeal for me is, is just like, oh, man, I feel like these guys in a sense, like I'm not very cool. I listen to like all these weird fucking albums, <laughs> like imagining all sorts of weird pop culture references. And, you know. Yeah. And there is a ton in this. There's a ton of pop culture references and throwaways and it's smart. I mean, I think that's the big thing that really is the big takeaway from, you know, license to ill, which was again, the, the, you, you know, you, you this uh, for me, the, the satire was there. But it was missed, and that happens a lot. That happens a lot, a lot in, in, in music. And to have them go from License to Ill to this, and the lyrically, I mean, it goes to show that they are, uh, to go from right away from a freshman album to a sophomore album and improve the way that they're rapping and what they're rapping about is, it cannot be understated. Yeah, they feel more confident in what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. Suppose to that and it's just like like a line like sam the butcher bringing alice the meat <laughs> fred flintstone <laughs> rolling around in bald feet like just like yeah i you know it's like i think for me like it was hard to get into rap at a younger age because i i didn't relate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is like you know it, <clears throat> it's not I, I love hip hop. So like I grew into appreciating it a lot more. It's just like when this stuff was coming out and like at a, in the age when I started getting into these guys and like, I'm, you know, look at the fucking Joe down <laughs> yep. cast that movie. Like, of course these guys were ripe for like brains like ours. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, I, I think it didn't really hit the consciousness until sabotage. Um, yeah. In my mind, because that's one of those cross-directional uh, songs. Um, and it was getting played on, you know, it started getting some of their songs that maybe weren't rock songs on rock radio. And it was getting rock music played on stations that didn't typically play rock music. Uh, you know, in our town, what, uh, you know, we had, a, we have, there's a, I don't even know if it's there anymore. Um, but there was a, there was, is a pop music station called KCLD and it does not, it is not rock or progressive friendly. It's all it's pop. top 40. It's top, top 40. Yeah. It's top 40 pop. And to have something like sabotage playing on it was like, whoa, this station's becoming cool. No, no, they weren't. And they never did. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. Sabotage was a weird thing, but they, they also got KCLD to start playing like licensed to ill stuff. And, mm-hmm. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. what you 
what you want was getting played on hard rock stations. That's not a hard rock song. No, but it just kind of shows us like these these guys were just such a like an amorphous blob of like everything. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to like they're hip hop group, but it's hard to pick. You know the like sound wise with layers and samples like. Like the only hip hop group that I can kind of compare them to would be a tribe called Quest. Yes, yes. Like those the these guys in Tribe, which you know, there's some crossover. Uh, you know, they knew each other and appeared on albums, but y- y- it's just like it's like those two were like doing this like basically it's fucking outer space hip hop. <laughs> you know, it's like Africa Bombada on more drugs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah i i mean i it was i i, I mean it was lost at the time and i mean you got to think about what when it came out right it came out in 89 in 89 uh, i mean in 89 winger was still putting out music <laughs> yeah it's the era of uh hair metal and then like with hip-hop hip-hop takes a a uh another left turn with more uh the what was dubbed gangster rap so yeah yes. nwa yep and like public enemy and i love both those guys i love both, both those, those groups. groups too yep absolutely uh, but it was just like it was you know hip-hop was evolving into something different and, and but at the time when this came out almost it, nothing sounded like it it was like nothing it almost like felt it. like hip-hop jazz in a sense yeah, it was. It was. It's got to, you know, I can say it's reminded me of uh, you know, a friend of mine. I'm glad you said that because this brought back to a conversation I had when Kid A came out and then Kid Amnesiac. And she was trying to, you know, kind of explain to someone what Amnesiac was. And she said, it's really Radiohead's jazzy album. And, <laughs> and this is definitely has some like, Beastie Boys' jazz album. Um, it's it's funky. It's offbeat at times. It really utilizes the space between normal progressions. Um, and it's very experimental. And again, in I, I you know, we talked a little bit about it, but in ni- in 1989, yeah, butt rock was starting to turn into grunge a little by like grunge was just starting to come out. Um, <clears throat> the rap was starting to change more in the gangster rap. And, um, you know, pop music will always be what pop music is. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that was kind of even changing um, from what uh, 80s pop music was, like Sheena Easton, to more 90s Paula Abdul style um, and uh, Mariah Carey style um, pop music. I mean, there were some, a lot of shifts going on. And this was one of those shifts that went widely unnoticed and unrecognized. Yeah. It, I mean, it probably took 10 years for people to really start appreciating this album. Absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, But yeah, this was like, you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, a seismic shift in like pop culture, but like you go, there's a lot, a lot of bands that I love will reference this. The album is like one of those turning moments. Uh, Quest Love from The Roots. Yes. Yep. Yep. Quest really Love, Love. Has, said, has said a lot of good things about Paul's Boutique. Yeah. So, I mean, it, 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 people who are really into music are in, like, 
this was kind of like, oh, shit. <laughs> they're, uh, they're changing things uh, up. And, you know, it's that's what I love about it. And not just that. I love this album just because overall it's it's interesting. It has a lot going on. Uh, it keeps my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fun. That's yep. not always a prerequisite for me to enjoy an album. I can listen because I listen. God knows I listen to enough depressing bullshit. To, <laughs> 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 you know, but you know, so you know, to be able to like be like, yeah, this album. And like, you know, I'm in a, I, I, you know, I do a lot of design work, and when I do design, when I'm trying to do like more intricate uh, Photoshop things, InDesign things, I will throw on Paul's Boutique to like get the creative juices flowing. I think that's very, very smart. Yeah. And, and like I said, you know, my, my buddy Jeff, who, uh, when this came out, you know, again, it was 89, but, um, he later went on to such a music nerd that he later went on to DJ, um, uh, for years at KBSC, which was the college station. And I think this and other things like he would go down to, uh, he'd have his mom take him down to, uh, well, no, actually, I think he biked even at that age. He biked downtown to the electric fetus and would go through and pick out things that wasn't getting played on the radio just just to find out, like, what this was. Yeah. And there, <clears throat> I had friends who would pick up the s- samples. Like, so when I started getting into this album, it was like, Again, late '90s, so you know, internet's there, and this album was one of those albums that was dissected once people uh, had a an avenue to which to like share their dissections. And so, like some people, and there's websites devoted like has everything, every single element of every single sample uh, itemized. <laughs> uh, Holy I don't shit. have. The- I don't have the time for that. Myself. No, we don't have the time for that. We do these. We we do a weekly podcast. We don't yeah. have the time for that. No. Okay. But so it's just it's just interesting that it it it's such a weird album and so such a creative outburst that it's inspired people to do that. I love that too. I I love that too. Um, you know, I mean, you and I, <clears throat> there'll be albums down the road, but you and I, I remember having discussions, um, in classes, um, and sometimes at lunch about certain albums and you know uh, uh, kind of analyzing what they were trying to say in in those albums and we've had that conversation several times i think throughout the years now um as we've started re, uh reconnecting and doing this so um now to you though is there any um down tracks or tracks that you go uh that you just don't feel when you listen to this yeah uh, one of them is what comes around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't like that. In Beastie Boys book too, Adam Horowitz says he he doesn't care for that song. Yeah, um, it's it's a low light. It's a low light. And then uh, it for me the B Boy Boule is it's interesting, but it doesn't do a whole lot for me. Uh, I hope I don't get my creds <laughs> taken away, but it just it it's interesting, but like I usually cut it when it gets to that point i just i don't know it just doesn't work for me i guess now that's where i found a lot of the references was in b-boy boulet um references to slick rick um references to dougie fresh um references to a lot of the 80s pioneer the early 80 pioneers of rap 
but that's I, I respect it because like okay they're they're throwing out the respect there, but at the same time, I have a real problem, especially now. I think if it was on back in the day on record or on vinyl or tape where it flows easily, I'd probably like it more. But this is one of those problems that I have with some albums um, where they have like the, the you know the, the small 30 seconds clips that are supposed to flow together. It's supposed to be kind of this artistic thing, but that got lost in the invention of CD and even um, you know even on streaming media because you have that pause, that two three second pause between start uh, ends and starts that takes away the original flow and the intent of it. So I can totally see why you don't. And it was difficult because I just wanted to get to the next part. So I'd rather have seen on this remaster, if they had done it, it just make it track 15 and make it just one yeah. original song. And I, I think that's how it was on the CD. It mm-hmm. was just one track on the original. Unfortunately, that, that was like a flat master in my opinion. So like it just <laughs> it was even a worse experience for her. Sure, absolutely. Because it just didn't, it didn't pop like it did with the remaster. So. No, and, and you like, have to don't get me wrong. I still like it. I just I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I, it. This is an album where I I can't really say there's a bad track. It's just like there's just some things I'm just like indifferent to. Another one would be uh, looking down the barrel of a gun. I was thank you for saying that. That was one that I I I, I, I somewhat dislike. It just didn't do anything for me. It feels like they're satirizing gangster rap, but it just uh, it. I don't yeah, know. it, I, it, it just felt doesn't. Forced. I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, because again, gangster rap was also so so new, but this also gives you an idea of how ear to the ground they were. Now, I think it's very important for our audience to realize where we come from. Um, <laughs> we come from white bread, m- Midwest Minnesota, um, about. Oh, an hour north of Minneapolis, where that's far enough in the 80s, in the 90s, to be completely cut off from cutting edge music. Um, And it was that way by, I mean, we did not have radio stations in town or really a means at the time. You got to understand it was it was radio. All we really had was the one record store, which was. uh, electric fetus. fetus where you ended up working at for a while and i believe we had a a sun coast in the mall at one point that sold albums um or something yeah. else where was it was it used to be right next to right next to sears i can't well, remember sam where. goody sam thank you it was sam goody yeah there was yeah. the sam goody but that was it and again you didn't know these out al- you didn't know the beastie boys you didn't know slick rick you didn't know any of this subculture of music because it was never allowed to be played on our radio stations um, and be heard. Yeah, it wasn't until the mid-90s when <clears throat> I think more stores started opening up and the dawn, I'd say, of the internet. The internet really helped, mm-hmm. uh, especially expanded my horizons. Uh, yes. Otherwise, it was just like knowing somebody who listened to it. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, uh, you know, I, I will say also, I think... KVSC, the college radio station, also really opened up some doors. Yeah. But, you know, I, you know, what did I know back when I was like, uh, you know, 
11, well, 12, 13. Like, I didn't know shit about KBSC. No, I mean, when this album came out, you also got to understand, we were eight years old. Yeah, we were not the, the demographic. We were not the demographic for this album. Actually, I, I'm pretty sure, I don't know what the demographic for this album was. I, I, I have to think it was for, this you, feels like like Dave Chappelle show. Like this was for the this was for their friends. Yeah, is what this feels like. And that it also feels like they're all their albums afterward. Mm-hmm. Like they're just whatever like they liked or caught on to. And I think that's an interesting. You know, it's not not every band or artist can do that. But no, Beasties could. <laughs> yes, and I also think it was the freedom from the record company. Because yeah. you would have, you know, there was record companies that would, you know, come after, uh, you know, oh, great, you just put out this album. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like this new thing. You guys should go in that direction. And there was, uh, you know, and that's become more and more and more and more prevalent is um, the labels wanting a certain sound from every one of their artists. Yeah. Hence, we, everything sounds the same. Yeah, I mean, I. That's always been top forty in a sense. But. Well, in a way, but I mean, like, I love sub pop records, right? I love sub pop records. Uh, you know, they've given us the resurgence of shoegaze, but every one of their artists still has that sub pop feel. You know, there's nothing really outside the norm of outliers, even within the sub pop culture. Um, within sub pop records, and I see that a lot, like with with certain labels. Um, um, but we can get into that another time. Yeah. Um, nice. But yeah, it was a weird time. Like so, this album, even like by the time I started getting into like around ninety eight, ninety nine. Yeah, that's about. I when... still don't. I still don't even know if I knew somebody who was like into this album. Like I, I probably bought it at the fetus. Like, oh, what's this Beastie Boy? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, was... I mean. Again, I knew my buddy Mojo was really into it. He was really, really into it. And he was into things, again, he was so ahead of his time, like when Pulp started making the rounds. He was the only person I knew that listened to Pulp. Um, and, you know, some other bands that were, uh, you know, had bigger careers outside of our ecosystem, <laughs> as it were. So is there anything, then, when it comes to this album, I mean... I guess, would you recommend this album? Well, absolutely. I mean, this is, uh, this album is, uh, this is uh, quintessential headphone music, I'd say. Like, mm -hmm. especially in the 90s, like, I, the 90s felt like it was like the last era where like big uh, labels would put out headphone music. Yes, uh, the big you know, labels. I mean, bands are still doing it, up, but typically they seem to be on their own or their own labels. Yes, but this was kind of like the last uh, hurrah de decade. Like, like it would not to even just like you know because like it's easy to throw hard rock like Nine Inch Nails, great headphone music. But even like with hip hop, like Dr. Dre. Oh yes, like, the Chronic, amazing, the Chronic, amazing headphone album, right? Yeah. Tribe Called Quest, amazing headphone music. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go back to Odelay because, like I said, this Odelay is just Paul's boutique 2.0 in my mind. Um, <laughs> it really is. 
um, that's a wonderful headphone music, you know, and, 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 and or even before that for the audience that's maybe younger that's listening to this and don't remember, um, in the 60s and 70s, you know, when there was new forms of, of audio, like um, Pink Floyd, for example, was huge in the quadraphonic. Um, the Who was huge in the quadraphonic, um, you know, these things. And what really sucks is we got, I mean, I'm recording this on 7.1 surround sound headphones. I don't know of many. Uh, the only album that I truly know that 7.1 is a Beatles remaster. That was remastered in 7.1. But nobody's doing it. No, uh, that's part of uh, Neil Young's crusade. Uh, his his bumbled crusade, I'll say. Uh, he, uh, yeah. All you can get into Pono and it, the junk science behind that, but. <laughs> right. Not here. Not here. Fair enough. We're not here totally. to talk about Neil Young. <laughs> no, no, we probably will at some point because I'm probably going to throw an album your way at some point for that. Um, artists. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say that I will recommend this album as well, but I want to give it the caveat that if you're coming into it and, you know, if you've listened to maybe Beastie Boys over the years or you really like some of their stuff, um, especially uh, in um, Intergalactic Planetary, right? That kind of thing. This is a far cry from that. Um, this is a niche album. Um, this is an album that is not commercial. And this is an album that really you're going to get more enjoyment out of it, as Joe stated earlier, listening to it as an album front to back and putting it on and um, rather than pulling a song here and there. Um, so I'm definitely recommend. I mean, it is sonically and production wise and engineering wise um, and lyrically an amazing album. But it may not be for everyone because, as you know, we stated in, the, in this as well, we don't really know who this album was made for, but it's fucking good. I find some of my favorite albums are the ones I don't know who who the audience was for it. Right. <laughs> I mean, even amongst, like, we can go, we'll probably do Floyd albums down the road, too. But there's some of those where I'm just like, who is the fucking audience for this? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we will get down with that because there are like, I, I'll, I'll name one album right off the top of my head that I go, who is that for? Metal. Who is that for? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those albums that you just go. Here's a 30 minute. <laughs> yeah, here's, rock Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, here's a 30 minute B side to your out to your record. Oh, you're getting six songs here. Five songs here. Flip it over, you're getting one song, motherfucker. <laughs> well, that's kind of like what the Beastie Boys did here with the B-Boy Bulaway. Uh, yes. The vinyl, it took up a side. Yep. So. Yep. I mean, yep. they, you know, like, they took a cue from, you know, uh, you know, album rock. And I guess this, if there is an audience, I think it was for people who are just obsessed over albums. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, I. I think this was this is a perfect album for nerds like us. <laughs> it really is, and I think there's that amalgamation because not only is this a, a, a rap album, but a hip hop album, but it's a punk album. I mean, you can feel the punk influence on this very, very heavily. Like you know, just the way that they are coming across, the way that they rap, and and, and the tones with which they become known for. You know, um, 
you you get that vibe like uh, um you know so yeah it's just it's it's this really awesome amalgamation of 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 several different genres in one but focusing all of it through a hip-hop lens if that makes sense yeah (laughs) it's uh, again it's just like it it you know the last thing that i'm not a big not the biggest fan of b-boy boulier but this feels like a boulier of everything just thrown onto an album and it works mm-hmm. and i'm not going to say it's aimless because it, an album like this can't be aimless by design exactly it's so concise with the samples and the beats uh it, it, you really can't uh, uh noodle <laughs> there's just no room for it no no it, 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 and again yeah this yeah. is it's, it's kind of like to me again as i've said this is odalite 2.0 right Odalay is the same thing. There is no aim. It's just the journey through the album um, and listening to the sonic of it. Um, and I feel like that's, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for an album that's going to have a point or is is presented in a way that has, you know, like some albums are where they're very specific in like the rising, you know, they, you know, they're meticulous about the, the, the moves they, they put you through the movements like track one starts here, and then by the time you get to track three, it takes this turn, and by track seven, you're down this road. You're not getting that here. You're you're not going to get that here. No. No. Uh, yeah, these guys are kind of the king of uh, curveballs. <laughs> oh, God, I mean, yeah, they, I... they recorded an instrumental jazz album, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are the guys that out of nowhere, out of everyone, recorded sabotage. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, when you listen to Paul, intergalactic after that, yeah, yeah, they One did the inter- best hip hop songs in my opinion ever. Yeah, just how stupid it is, but like the beat and like, oh god, it's such a perfect song for me. It, it is. I, I, you know, I would consider them, truthfully, the Radiohead of hip hop, where you know th- most people stay in a certain way. And they didn't give a fuck. They'll just go any direction they want to go when they want to do it. Yeah. And I think especially in the late 80s into the 90s, I think that, I think other artists saw that. That, oh, shit, they did that. Why can't we do something different? I'm sure a lot of them weren't able to. Like, I'm sure the, just because the Beastie Boys did it doesn't mean you can, guys. Yeah, the Beastie Boys. You're not the Beastie Boys, and there was a lot of failures from bands trying to emulate them, and that's more of a testament to the genius of what they were doing. And I really think that while they were doing that, I think there was a lot of fumbling (laughs) through it. (laughs) That's you know, that's life. It's a learning process, man. Yeah, like their albums. You know, this is the last album uh, until their very last one. Uh, well, it's one of the. It's, after this, they start playing instruments, mm-hmm. and they only have like maybe one or two albums after this where they're not playing any instruments uh, at all. Uh, this one is just it's pure sample. It's, it's pure them, sample. the Dust Brothers, and Mario C. They're, mm-hmm. uh, they're DJ. Uh, man, it was like you bring up Kid A and Amnesiac, and it's just like it's kind of like what. Radiohead did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like sit in a studio and just fuck around and come up with magic. 
Yeah, you just you know, I, 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 this is going to sound derogatory. I don't mean it to be or punching downward because it's not, but it's the classic awesome case of failing upward. <laughs> you know, you fucked around and came out with magic. <laughs> well, I mean, this is this cup. Uh, I feel like some of that could be attributed to Eraserhead. Uh, oh. Obligatory Lynch reference. <laughs> yes, obligatory reference, and that is a fail upward. I mean, that. <laughs> That there's was no reason art. that movie should be still sold today. <laughs> no, no, there's no reason, and yet it is. I mean, <laughs> it, you know, and there's no reason why it should still be talked about. I mean, uh, there, but there is. I mean, when you see it, there is. Um, so yeah, I, I do. I'm, I'm going to agree with you and say, yeah, this is an album that I would completely recommend and enjoyed listening to, um, outside of looking down a barrel of a gun and what comes around. Um, you know, and Really, uh, if you're a fan, of, again, for me, once once Odalite popped in my head, I'm like, I know what I'm in for. Like, this is just, and I remembered it, you know, the memory gear kicked in. I'm like, this is just a ride. Like, I'm just going to sit here and let the Beastie Boys take me where I'm going to go. And it's fun, mostly the way through. Yeah. I have a, uh, <clears throat> just one of us. you know what ever happened to the Dust Brothers? Uh, the Dust Brothers? Yeah. Uh, it seemed like they had a meteoric rise in the '90s, and then they just kind of. So the Dust Brothers, I know a little bit about it, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. There, there, there is some controversy there, uh, not much, um, just mostly in their name, um, and uh, oh. because because of the Chemical Brothers. Oh. Uh, but you know, they uh, did a lot of things um, on like soundtracks. I mean, they worked with you know, as you know, they did. Um, Odelay. Um, they 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 worked on Neil uh, Vince Young's second solo album. Um, they worked with Korn on Kick the PA for the for the Spawn soundtrack. They did stuff um, for Fight Club. They really started getting into like movies and that kind of thing. Um, they were responsible for the the collaboration between Carlos Santana and Eagle Eye Cherry on Supernatural. Um, and then they went back and worked with Beck on Guerrero. Um, they worked with Tenacious D on their um, debut, Linkin Park. Um, but they've kind of just got, I mean, they're still doing things um, just kind of behind the scenes. Uh, I think they just kind of dabble now and have some semi-retired. They just come out when they want. Soundtrack work and all that or mm-hmm. that sort of thing probably yeah. pays more than... Uh, nobody made a dime off Paul's boutique and probably for like 20, 20 years. Well, you know, and what's, and what's so funny is, is that it was considered in time magazine in 2006, one of the best albums. It came out in 89. It took seven years for it to get recognized. <laughs> it's an amazing album, you know? <laughs> and I think Odalay, I think they owe Odalay a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Odalay is a fantastic album. Yeah, uh, Ole is a, a fantastic album, and I think, you know, th- again, if you like Odalay, it's it's here, it's in this album. Yeah, this is like uh, the uh, patient zero of Odalay. <laughs> yeah, it really, it really, really is. But yeah, they've kind of, you know, uh, they've just kind of doing this uh, small things. Um, they worked with they they might be giants album. They're just doing what they want when they want. I think they've made enough money. Well, they didn't make it off this. We know that. <laughs> Nobody made money on this. 
All right. Well, that's Paul's boutique. All right. Uh, Paul, you are up, you're up next for the pick for Rate That Album. Tell us about your pick. So my pick is an album that I don't think anyone would expect from me uh, based upon uh, conversations and things that we've had. We're going to be doing Off Der Mauer um, by Melissa Off Der Mauer, who is a Canadian musician, singer-songwriter, photographer, and actress. Um, and I'll get into a lot of her career, but this album, her self-titled album, really was 10 years in the making. Um, so, it, it, you know, this is going to be one of those things that she started working on um, when she was doing a lot of different, like, these are songs that she worked on through the years and finally put out an album. So, but um, that's going to be it. And if you don't know who she is, you know the bands that she worked with. Tinker, Hole, Smashing Pumpkins, Chelsea, Hand of Doom. Um, she's, you know, she's worked with Fountains of Wayne, The Stills, Rufus Rainwhite. Um, so, yeah, she's been around and is one of those muses in music. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was not expecting that. <laughs> no. No, and like I said, you wouldn't be expecting that. You would think we probably think something else, but yeah, I mean, this is. I, I'm really excited to have you listen to this album. Um, it's accessible. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on um, Spotify. Um, so it's there. It's not a hard one to get it, and a hard one to find actually. Awesome. Yep. So it's her self-titled, essentially offered last name debut. I am int- I am excited to listen. I'm always game for new music, so <laughs> yeah. If you haven't listened to it, you're you're in for something unique. Let me put it that way. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested to hear your take on this album. All right. Well, ne- next week we'll find out. All right. Well, uh, I think for uh, uh, the audience um, that came over from Twin Peaks. Um, or new audience members are coming over from the Joe Down. Um, I really, really appreciate you guys um, taking this journey with us. Joe, we're going to do the obligatory plugging part. Joe, what do you have going on right now with the Joe Down? Uh, yeah, so uh, <clears throat> uh, we just reviewed uh, Kung Fury. <laughs> so good. Brilliant movie. Uh, up next is uh, a movie you guys did a cast that movie for. Ooh, what movie would that be? Uh, Maximum Overdrive. Oh, shit. A movie so coked up, the director doesn't remember making it. No, he does not remember making it. We talked about that ad nauseum in our guest, that movie. Wow. Um, I'm interested to see what your take is on the Joe Down and get your opinion of that when that comes out because uh, I have mine. It's and, a wild, it's a wild, wild uh, Yes, and experience. we... Me and uh, Jode were very divided on our thoughts on that movie. Yeah, I, yeah, I, it's it's a cult classic. I, you know me with cult classics and bad movies. 
Well, I, I, I'm like a fly to a light with bad movies. You and I both, sir. Um, uh, you know, it, and I explain it too uh, in our cast that movie for those that didn't listen. Go listen to that because I bring this up. This was a film that, along with Beastmaster and another 48 Hours, was played constantly on TNT and TBS. <laughs> Don't forget about Bloodsport and Bloodsport. Oh my God, Bloodsport was yes. Those, uh, uh, yeah, Beastmaster. Another 48 Hours, Maximum Overdrive, um, Bloodsport, TBS, TNT, <laughs> on like, you you would not go a weekend without being able to watch Maximum Overdrive. No. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's something else. Uh, what about you? What do you got going on, Paul? Uh, well, you know, we I'm behind on my podcast, at least getting them up and getting them edited. Um, I've kind of gone off the rails with the holidays. I'm still using that as, a, as an excuse because I just got so much going on. And I'm just still waiting for things to come down. My house is still a disaster because we just celebrated our second Christmas um, thing uh, this last weekend. So I, I'm, you know, I haven't been able to get out of that mindset or that mode um, just because of you know Voldemort and that type of thing. We've had to move things around. Um, so. We are almost done with Twin Peaks uh, podcast about a convenience store talking Twin Peaks. Um, we have all of them recorded except for the final episode. Um, you know, I'm I'm beers beats a bobble uh, bears beats a bobbleheads and cast that movie. I'm reaching out to um, my partner Scott on those uh, this week to see when we're going to start starting those up. And uh, I have two episodes of. The brand new podcast with our brand new um, partner, uh, Griffin E., um, for a tour of Hawkins, uh, a podcast about Stranger Things. Nice. Which you are going to be, uh, which you, she invited you into it. Um, so I don't know if you want to come all the time. You know, that's something we can talk about off air. Um, but, you know, your schedule on when you want to join that is your schedule. Sounds good. Trust me, I got a lot of uh, crossover conspiracy theories with that and uh, Parks and Recreation. Ooh, very interesting. I think that... Both take place in Indiana, man. There's (laughs) layers upon layers. You think Patton Oswalt's going to show up the filibuster in the season? (laughs) (laughs) One of the best TV moments ever. Uh, my favorite is going on YouTube and finding the uh, extended oh, where he just went off for like 10 minutes and was like, can we stop? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to get back, you know, getting these things up and done. I mean, again, they are done. They are there. We did not not do them. So for those of you that have been kind of, um, you know, uh, hammering at the mouth for these things. By the time you listen to this podcast, those will have already been put out. So, um, other than that, I you know I I think this was a great first episode, uh, honestly, and I really like the dynamic of it, um, and I hope our audience did too. I do too. It, it, <clears throat> I like it. I like I like t- shooting the shit on music. I I don't get to do it as much as I used to. So. Neither do I. So this is an awesome outlet. So when you brought this up as the follow-up to Twin Peaks, again, not, you know, we go off on side tangents, not probably what you'd expect us to do coming off of Twin Peaks, but lo and behold, here we are, and I'm really glad we are. 
I am too. I am too. And so, until next time, Paul. What you, what you, what you want?